0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. It's good to have you here. We are doing a bit of a tongue-in-cheek series this November called Thank Gord. I know it's kind of cheeky, but um, actually... With the way people talk about God these days, you might as well say Gord, because uh, you ask them what God, which God, who God, and they really don't know other than he's the big guy upstairs. And that's not much, not much at all. Um, I know this is a little cutting, but without a relationship to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the God of the covenant, and to the God of the promise, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's really hard to truly have any thanks at all. It just turns into a sentiment rather than actual a relationship. And so today we're looking again at this series. And this day, you could almost, well, yeah, it's also a little cheeky, but this, the sermon today could be entitled, Amazing Thanks, How Sweet the Smell. You'll see why. Sometimes, you know, when you f- face things in life, it's not what you see, but how you see it. And that's what we're looking at today as well. So we're going to be reading uh, in Luke chapter 7 a, uh, an incident that happens, that Jesus is involved in, of course, in the Gospels. But then he tells a story in the middle of the incident to kind of reframe the whole thing that's going on. Okay, So let's, uh, let's read Luke 7, 36 to 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she came from the time I came in. She has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven." Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Three main characters in this scene, and we're going to be kind of working through them one at a time. So the three points today for this message are that Simon sees, a woman anoints, and Jesus declares. Simon. He's the name of the Pharisee in this, par- uh, in this story. And um, he sees. Actually, he doesn't see. <laughs> or he sees, but he doesn't really perceive. What's really going on? Jesus asks that question. It's pretty obvious. He knows he sees this woman in his house, but he still asks the question, right? In Luke seven forty four, he says, do you see this woman? <laughs> duh, you know, you might say, of course I do. She's intruded into the house. I see what she's doing. Don't you see this woman and see what she's doing? So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount puts it this way about your eyes. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's not what you see. It's how you see, or through what you see, how you perceive, Jesus is saying. And if you perceive through a darkened, judgmental attitude, that's what all you're going to see in any situation. And it seems like Simon, well, he's already biased all the way from the beginning. It's really interesting. Have you ever gone, actually, okay. Here, I'll explain a little more. Um, Have you ever gone to somebody's house? Um, Well, you think you were invited, but when you get there, you don't feel that invited, right? Do you know what I mean by that? You show up, and you knock on the door, and you come in, and you see all these other people, and he, oh, yeah. And they let you in, but you almost feel like you're an intruder. And then you see everybody else has a drink in their hands, but you've been offered nothing. And everybody kind of turns their back after, oh, and they start talking to each other. You get that feeling ever? Jesus understands quite well in this text. You see, in this text, Simon has invited him over for dinner, sort of. Simon has invited him for dinner, but really, it's really an inquisition. Probably the meal that he was invited into the Pharisee's house was that of what's called a havarim, a group of Pharisees meeting together for a communal meal to discuss the law. And they had heard about Jesus. They knew who he was. They had heard all sorts of things about him. And they wanted to check him out for themselves. And so Jesus was not really a guest. He was the main course. He was going to be picked apart now I'm sure Simon greeted his friends with a kiss. I'm sure he had them and their feet washed. For Jesus, he got nothing. And I think Simon was trying to put him in his place that Simon thought he should be in. You know, yeah, you're here, but we're going to check you out first before we accept you. It's interesting how we see others, isn't it? How you see other people is more a reflection of you than it is of them. C. Terry Warner writes this in uh, his book, The Bonds That Make Us Free. He says, Justification means trying to make something straight or to bring it into line. For example, we justify a text we are typing on a computer when we enter the command that straightens up one or the, up more of its edges. Self justification is like putting on glasses to make our crooked behavior appear straight. I think that's what Simon is doing here. He has already got a distorted view of this world and everything in it, and he wants to look justified in himself. And the way he was doing it is to be better than Jesus and better than this woman, that's for sure. In fact, when she comes into the picture, (coughs) he is able to justify how he's treated Jesus poorly because, well, look, he can't even be a prophet. He's nothing if he allows that woman to touch him. And when she comes in, she is shocked. A woman is shocked and anoints Jesus. You know, when she comes into Simon's house, she doesn't see it the way Simon does. And I believe she read the room correctly. Now, by the way, she did not barge into a private residence. I know it might seem like that, but in the the first century in Judea, there was a public space, kind of an outer courtyard that anybody was invited into. And that's where they had a feast like this. And so when she heard Jesus was going to the house of this Pharisee, she came over ready to thank him for what he had already done in her life. How she had been accepted, how she had been forgiven, how she had been welcomed in and embraced by Jesus. But when she arrives, she realizes this isn't what I thought. This situation, this is nothing what I expected. Jesus is at table, but she can see He has not been treated with any dignity. In fact, he is being publicly shamed by the Pharisees. They want to put him down. Kenneth Bailey writes in his book, um, now if I can remember, Jesus Through uh, Middle Eastern Eyes. He writes about this story. She is in anguish because before her eyes, this beautiful person who set her free with a message of the love of God for sinners, is being publicly humiliated. And so she is just overwhelmed and distraught, and she begins to cry, not because of her sins, but because of the way Jesus is being treated. And though she was intending to anoint his hands and his head, she finds that he is not really that accessible to her because he's now leaning and laying down, reclining at table But his feet are. His feet are still visible to her. And she breaks down, kneels down, anoints his feet, wipes. the. She's just overwhelmed and wipes his feet with her hair and sheds tears, not of repentance as much as just total disgust and distraught of how Jesus is being treated. She doesn't even say a word. We don't even get one word out of her mouth in this entire story, and yet her actions speak so loudly. And that's what Jesus does. He de- declares that. So when Jesus speaks, he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. This was not a polite conversation, by the way. Not at all. So he tells this parable of two people, one who owes 500 the other $50. they are both forgiven the debt, who is going to love or respond more with thanks? And Simon, at least, judges rightly on this count. He knows, well, of course, the one who's been forgiven, more debt. And then Jesus does the unthinkable in the text. I don't think you've even ever done this. Have you ever, in somebody else's house, Told them when you are the guest how bad they are at hosting. (laughs) Do you understand? It's exactly what Jesus is doing. He is telling Simon, by the way, you're terrible at this. I came in, you didn't wash my feet, you didn't give me a kiss, you didn't welcome me, you did that for everybody else. Look at her, she's done it all in your place. In the Middle East, you in the first century, you never insult a host. You might think of it, <laughs> you might say it after the party, but you never confront someone like this. And then Jesus does something that's even more shocking to all of the Pharisees who were with Simon, and that is he again declares to her her sins are forgiven. You know, the most scandalous thing Jesus probably ever did was to forgive sins so blatantly and openly again and again. And we see a number of instances of this. For example, in Mark chapter 2, when Jesus saw their faith, that is, the four friends of the paralytic, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blasphemous. Faming, who can forgive sins but God alone. Here again in John 8, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Or in Luke chapter 15, It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. He was hosting a party for them, actually. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now the Pharisees, everybody in the first century, the Jews, all believed in forgiveness. They needed it, but they didn't believe that anybody could actually do that. They might wish someone would be forgiven, but to declare someone forgiven? And you can only forgive the sins that were done against you. So, what is Jesus doing here, forgiving this woman all her sins? Is he saying all those things were really done against him? Who is he? Who does he think he is? Brennan Manning writes about what forgiveness is really about and how Jesus does it so differently. He says, the saved sinner is prostrate in adoration, lost in wonder and praise. He knows repentance is not what we do in order to earn forgiveness. It is what we do because we have been forgiven. It serves us as an expression of gratitude rather than the effort to earn forgiveness. Thus, the sequence of forgiveness and then repentance rather than repentance and then forgiveness is the crucial understanding for the gospel of grace. This might even shock you today. But God forgives you before you repent. He finds the lost sheep and then brings it home. He finds the coin, she finds the coin, and brings it home. The prodigal son, yeah, he was returning, but he wasn't returning. He was tr- returning to try to make a deal with his father to be a hired hand, and his father runs out and humiliates himself in Luke 15, that parable, and embraces him before he can get a word out of his mouth. That is how your God treats you. He is for- you are forgiven first. And then our response is to just, yeah, Lord, I'm a mess. I have sinned against you and against others. Now, I'm sure Simon not only believes in forgiveness to an extent, in incremental steps, he also would be one who would be understood as a man of faith. But my question with him, faith in what? Faith in whom? And I'm sure Simon would be someone everybody thought was thankful. In fact, probably at the beginning of the meal, he thanked the God, the king of the universe, for all the bounty that was placed before them. But my question is, is it really? What's going on with that, right? Is Simon thankful for God and for God alone? Does he understand is his faith in God alone or is his faith in his own ability to please God? Do you get the difference? John Lynch in his book called The Cure differentiates two ways people try to connect to God. There are those who try to please God, he says, like the Pharisees in this story, and those who simply trust God, like this woman, because she knows she can't please God. She's already blown that opportunity. And if you think you're going to be pleasing God, then you have more faith in your ability to do that than in God himself. John Lynch writes this. If our primary motive is pleasing God, we'll never please him enough and we'll never learn to trust. Pleasing God is a good desire. It just can't be our primary motivation or it'll imprison our hearts. If all we bring to God is our moral striving, we're back at the same lie that put us in the need of salvation. We're stuck with our independent talents, longing and resolve to make it happen. This self-sufficient effort to assuage a distant deity, it nauseates God. The alternative, he says, is this. When our primary motive becomes trusting God, however, we suddenly discover there's nothing in the world that pleases him more. Until you trust God, nothing you do will please God. You know, um, religion so often is trying to please God or meet some standard or trying to talk about our, my what I need to be doing in order to be better in some form or another. And what I find in studying world religions and in teaching about it at the university is that often we talk about faith in God in any of those systems, but often even in the Christian system it can turn into this. Often we have more faith in ourselves and our ability than in God. Simon would say he had faith, but I have a feeling it's faith in his ability to keep the law, to merit divine grace in his life. (laughs) And even people who say, well, I don't really believe anything. In fact, I can't. Nobody can really, really know for sure if God exists. When people even say something like that, I go like, so you're sure that nobody can be sure? Sounds like you've got faith in your ability to figure that out. Did you notice that? Everybody has faith. The question is in whom or in what? Everyone believes something. If you don't trust the authority figures, the experts in the field, whatever, whoever they happen to be, then you're trusting those who, say they are authorities on the internet. <laughs> do you know how that works? And if you say, I'm not gonna trust anyone, then you are trusting your own judgment. And you're gonna trust somebody, the question is whom and why. Here we see Simon, has. A, he's a man of faith. He seems to believe that he can please God to be pure enough, to do good enough, to be sincere enough. He believes in himself as much as he believes in God. This woman, however, (laughs) she didn't try to please God because she knew that was not what she could do. She just trusted Jesus and what he had told her. This woman had no faith in herself but only in Jesus Christ, and that was evident by her actions that day. So Simon ends up loving very little because he thinks he doesn't need that much forgiveness. God, (laughs) yes, you gotta forgive me for the little things, but you know, look at what I can do as well. You know, it's interesting, I think his thanks could be similar to the ones that Jesus uses in uh, he tells another story, a parable, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 18 about a Pharisee and a publican. I think there's a lot of similarities in the difference between these two. And it's the Pharisee, it says in Luke 18, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Is there any thanks in that at all? Not at all. He's thanking God for nothing. He ends up thanking God for how good I am. <laughs> That's not thanks. That might as well be a thank-gourd, you know? As much as thanks there is in that. It won't produce any thanks at all, because it's all just self-justification for, look at how good I am, God. But I love what Jesus does in this story. He, it says, turned and looked at this woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? And I think what he's really saying is to this woman, I see you. I see you. And I'm going to tell you again, your sins are forgiven. He sees her. I have a feeling this woman for a long time has had no one actually see her. They see her sins, but not her. They see her life, but not her. They see her as a thing, an object, a problem, part of society, ostracized, whatever. But they don't see her. Maybe Jesus is the first person in decades who actually looks at her and sees her. He sees her not just her sin, he also sees that she is a daughter of God. You as well are known, you, God sees you. He sees you clearly and completely. You think you might know yourself or see yourself, but I'll tell you, we all have our blind spots and we all have our distortions of our own life. You and I, we're overly concerned about some things that matter so little and <laughs> minimize the things that matter so much. Everything's just a little out of whack. You probably can't properly see yourself. And even the eyes of others, other people too don't really see you clearly but Jesus does and when you see yourself in his eyes that's when you finally see yourself clearly when you see how pleased he is with you, how much he has always wanted you how he doesn't just see all your mistakes and sins and mixed motives but he sees you and he knows you, that's when thanks can flow freely like this woman. You know, for every person that feels dirty, every person who sees themselves lacking, for everybody with their regrets, every person who is confused about who they are, every person who has anger issues, and all they can see in front of them is bitterness towards others, every person who sees their own brokenness, every person who sees they are in bondage to sin and cannot free themselves but keep doing it again and again, God sees you. The father of Jesus sees you and wants you. And that's why he sent his son into this world, not to condemn you, but to see you and to save you. And Jesus looks at you and says, like with this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And that, today, still produces a scandal. Religious people will be upset that we would forgive people such big things, whatever they are. It produced outrage in Jesus' days. Who is he who could forgive sins? And it is exactly that point that finally nails him to the cross, that he would be so daring to take God's place and do a God thing to you and to me, and yet that's exactly what he does. And it's through his cross that he sees us and loves us and forgives us. He finally gets killed for it, but he will do it anyways. Amazing thanks, how sweet the smell in this story. All because she was seen by Jesus, and now she can only see Jesus as the one to give everything to. How are we seeing? Do we see like Simon? He made his judgments. He decided, yeah, I've got my blemishes. I've got my little. And God, yes, I need a little help, a little forgiveness here and there. Or do I get to see myself and say, you know what? Even the good things I do are filled with egotism and (laughs) self-promotion. Lord, I need forgiveness for everything. Do I see other people on a kind of a scale of better and worse than me? Do I look at those in that tribe as different than who I am? Have I made judgments like Simon, like I can't believe Jesus would even be with? Or do I see that we've all fallen short of God's glory, and all are equally at the foot of the cross, beautifully forgiven and Beautifully broken. Mostly, do you see Jesus and how He has done everything? He has chosen to give His life away to have you. That's not a thank God, that's a thank God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you this day. Um, you know how cloudy our eyes have been. You know how we don't see the way that you have seen, Lord Jesus. We thank you, though, Lord, for the story of this woman who came simply to give you thanks and praise and who saw things for what they were and broke down at your feet we pray Lord Jesus that we would see ourselves through your eyes that we would understand Lord the depth of your love and mercy and grace for each of us that you have forgiven us more than we could ever imagine and you want us more than we could ever imagine, and that we would just live within that Lord and respond as this woman did. Lord, you know how many times we've been like Simon the Pharisee. Forgive us for those, and uh, move us this day to really see others clearly as you see them. We lift up many in our church and uh, in our uh, ministry, Lord, as well as in our community. Lord, you know those who are hurting this day. You know those who need healing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We lift up Victor and his family as they face now the loss of one car. And we pray, Lord, that you work uh, Mm -hmm. through us and through your people and through whatever circumstance to provide for them in their need. Mm -hmm. We lift up to you, uh, Sarah and David. (laughs) Pray that you would uh, help us to serve them (laughs) uh, with the collapse of the roof in their apartment complex, Lord, and that. Um, Whatever they need, Lord, you will provide through us. Uh, We lift up, Lord, um, students that we know in our campus ministry um, or those that we've been able to connect with at the university who are really struggling right now, Lord, with anxiety and depression and many other issues. Lord, with the stress of this world, we pray that we could see them, let them know that they are seen clearly, and that we can accept and embrace them and lift them up to you and encourage them with the love that you have for us. I pray your healing upon Dean and upon Mikey and Dick and so many others in our congregation for Otto as well, Lord, that you continue your healing hand on them, that you would um, be with those who are recovering, Lord, those who need your care, like Bob Beverly, that you'd bless him, Lord, and bring a strength to him. And Lord, that uh, you would make us a community that, well, Lord, that reflects more and more your ministry to the least and the unlikely the downcast, and all those who feel broken and misunderstood, Lord, that we would lift them up, that we would point them to the truth of who you are, that we would live in response to your grace. All this we pray, Lord, and pray that you would use our offerings this day and that you would also prepare us for the Lord's Supper this morning. You invite us, Lord, even though we know we are unworthy. Like this uh, sinful woman, Lord, we, um, we are aware of some of our faults. Some of them we don't know, though, and don't see, Lord, and yet we're gonna lay them all before you because we know if we would say we have no sin, we are just deceiving ourselves. You see it clearly. The truth would not be in us, but we now confess our sins. And you are faithful and just. You forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. So bless our time, Lord. Prepare our hearts to open um, ourselves to you and your goodness and grace. And then that we would respond with great thanksgiving and love for others because of the amazing grace you have for us. All this we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.